welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? I'm your host, Matt Schufreiter. Today, we have the Artistic Director of the Training Center for the Second City, John Hildreth. John is a instructor, improviser, and teacher, and yes, was my improv teacher when I took improv at Columbia. John and I met over Zoom, and here is our conversation. Morning, John. How are you? Good morning, Matthew. I'm fine. How about yourself? Good. That was the first time I ever called you by your real name, <laughs> which was, that was, it felt a little, I felt weird doing that because I'm so used to calling you Hildy. I think that was what you told us to call you. Uh, I miss, I miss those days. I miss being called Hildy. Every once in a while, I'll run into someone at Second City from Columbia College and they'll call me Hildy and I'll be like, oh, it was great to be called Hildy. <laughs> You are known for the nicknames. Do you still call your students nicknames? I do. Some of them I still do. Um, you know, I can't remember all the nicknames from the days of yore. But, um, yeah, I still do. I still use some nicknames. Do I, I assume if you give a student more than one nickname, then that, those are your favorites, correct? Well, a lot of people think that, you know, there are people walking around with no nicknames and then there are people walking around with just one. Then there's some with several. I don't think it means that. I just think some people um, are easier to give nicknames to. <laughs> You're laughing. Good say. <laughs> so, you know, you and my improv one professor uh, back in Columbia, it makes sense, kind of a long time ago. Um and I would say that was the first time about halfway through where I started to loathe going to that class because no. not, it wasn't your fault. It was because you you were the professor. Don't be funny for a while because we weren't trying to be funny at first. You were trying to do kind of like dramatic improv or trying to move the scene um, that didn't require any humor. And for some people, they succeeded with that and they can clearly tell. And then there's someone like me who is like, uh, nope, I thought of a bit here and I want to do it. And I get told, no, don't be funny. Um, how I want to first of all ask, how, how did you you still like teaching? And also, how hard was it for you to not try to be funny at first? Well, first of all, yeah, I can't believe that I ever told someone to stop being funny. Um, I think that people have their natural sense of humor and the improv class isn't really trying to change that. Right. I'm not going to change anyone's sense of humor. Everyone should be allowed to use their sense of humor. Um, I love teaching and I still love it and I still do it. Uh, I, I do a lot of it, teaching and coaching. I, in particular, loved the days of teaching in college. I just loved that age group and i loved the the talent and eagerness that students at that age had you know now i'm mostly teaching adults and um maybe there's not as much eagerness to pick up improv as the students you know 19 20 21 years old that's a that was a great age and i miss teaching at that age yeah do you remember the uh Oh, I can't remember what was the term used, but we would go outside 
and we would like i don't know do some weird movement outside in like the streets sure. of chicago oh but do you remember what was that called do you remember oh man uh, we did like flock dances outside well, yep that's what we did you would literally take photos of us from like, across the street pretending you didn't know what's that all I'm like, people in that neighborhood, people downtown or South Loop, they should know that there's a theater school in the neighborhood. Anytime <laughs> they go outside, they could see people outside. Um, they could see students doing flock dances or doing tableau. We did all kinds of stuff. And man, I still have hundreds of pictures from those days. That was a- I loved out there being out there causing trouble. With, you know, 15, 16 students and running around. <laughs> it went, it was fine at first when we were doing it like the student lounge. But then we're, when we're doing it outside of a pot belly at 5 o'clock at night, that's when it got, I was like, what am I paying for at this point, you know? I still have those photos from inside pot bellies, a photo of people in that window. Um, and what was that? Like a jewel across the street? People yeah. in the parking lot. And people just doing the crosswalks. Ah, too much fun. Right? Because that was a class, I can't remember, of mostly just actors. A couple, I think you had a student or two that continued to do improv after that, but they were mostly just, they want to be in plays, they want to be in musicals, and improv's not their thing. So... Yeah, that was that was for them brand new. Uh, this is complete, like a big complete outside of what my training is for. Well, I remember, I still remember going to see you in um, Legally Blonde. Oh God, I did make you come all the way to Woodstock for that. I, it was a it was a drive, but it was worth it. You know, man, I was so proud of you. Oh. Thank you for inviting me to that. So Thank proud. You. Thank you. Thank you for taking the Hildy Mobile all the way to Woodstock. <laughs> Are you still performing? Oh yeah. We're still we're still performing. Just did It's a Wonderful Life back in the holidays and still do uh kids theater. I start back up for the three little pigs mm. this week and you know, we'll find something else that's gonna be more for adults soon, but right now it's all about the kids. Well, good for you. Thank you. But speaking of you, I want to talk about y'all. Look at that. Look at that segue. Uh, I for, also I want to add that there's a photo of our class on your Instagram, and only my face, part of my face, only made the photo. <laughs> and I just thought, well, that was kind of like how I was remembered for that class, being partially oh, no. into it the entire time oh no um, i have to look back and see that oh no i thought it was funny no i was not mad at it was no one's fault i think it was just instagram cropping photos but uh yeah but anyway uh young john hildreth pre-university of chicago pre you got into improv what were you like as a child oh i gotta say that's probably a good kid i think minded my parents did well in school. Um, you know, back in uh, back in those days, there wasn't you know an improv club in every middle school and a sketch comedy group. It's like nowadays, you can't find an elementary school without comedy clubs and improv classes. But 
In those days, not so much. I think it might have been in junior high when I started. I was in the chorus. And from there, that's how I found out about performances in musicals, probably around junior high. I think my debut was as the jester in Once Upon a Mattress. Yes. Do you remember the lines? Oh, man. I remember the song when Daddy wore his very, what is it, soft shoes? That was a jester solo. Yeah. And I, I think I still have a couple few photographs from those days. Um, I remember it being kind of a joke because my voice was changing oh. at the time. <laughs> and there was a line that Jester had. It was like, uh, it's happened. The prophecy has happened. Something like that. And my voice would always crack when I said it. <laughs> um, so those are the beginning days. What, and then what you what made you want to do the musical? Were you a shy kid or was it just I you had nothing better to do? Uh what made you want to start? Well, it was like I was in the chorus and the guy that was uh there were two dudes running the chorus and they were it was like kind of like you're in the chorus, you're in the musical. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I don't remember being asked, I just remember doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't, you know, I didn't have any idea of what it was about. Um, but yeah, I was a part of it and I did it and I, you know, I enjoyed it. Right. And it's true. Your dad was a store manager. And so you guys would have to travel every couple of years, right? That's to, true. That's so true. that, that had to been hard, right? Yeah, it was, it was hard. Um, but you know. It, uh, I think it was good training for entertainers. You know, you'd have a whole group of people that wanted to be entertained, you know? Right. And then, so then you go to the University of Chicago, you go there, and that's when you kind of, I don't know, you met some people who did it who and started this improv club. Um, or there was an improv club already there, right? That you just joined, correct? Well, okay. Of course, it's changed now. There's a whole theater department and a new theater building and everything down at U of C. But back when I was there, there wasn't a theater department. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody, I guess, that uh, could rent out, not rent out, but just um, reserve one of the performance spaces and had a faculty advisor could put up a play. And so it was like the wild, wild west. And I did lots of plays back in those days. Everybody was doing Mammoth and Stoppard. And we did all of those plays kind of unofficially. There's no department behind it. Um, And yeah, some people started up an improv group. And I saw that group. And I wanted to be in that group. I wanted to do that. And so I think I was part of the, the second cohort of that group um and we performed once a week in the back room of a bar we did improv games and every once in a while there was a sketch or two we did that for years and years and years what made you was it about the improv that made you want to do it was it just the free form or was it just these guys look like they were just 
having fun, and I'm not having fun at this point. Well, it was, you know, I was still having fun, <laughs> you know, being in college and whatever. Right. But yeah, they did look like they were having fun. And I did think, oh, I'd like to try that. Um, or I think I'd like to do that. And so, you know, there were auditions involved. Mm -hmm. And so I went for it and it happened. And yeah, I was a part of that group. After, you know, years of performing, we started putting like sketch comedy shows together. Right. Made a collection of all the scenes that we had been doing. And we took those up to the north side and performed a few reviews. And those were, you know, mixed reviews on those reviews. <laughs> but it was good experience and it was getting out there. Mm -hmm. And they were just starting up the Improv Olympic, which became IO. And all that stuff, we got involved performing um, competitive long forms mm -hmm. with uh, IO before it was IO. Mm -hmm. And that, again, was great to get out there and an interesting challenge and fun. Yeah. What did your parents think about when you started doing this improv? Because you didn't want, you went, didn't, I know they didn't have a theater department, but you went to school for the complete opposite of what improv is, right? Yeah, I mean, I had, uh, I was taking a bunch of science classes and I had in the back of my mind that, oh yeah, I'm pre-med, I'm going to go to med school and all of that. But um, yeah, I discovered improv maybe about halfway through college and that interfered a little bit um, with my medical <laughs> career. Just a little bit. A little bit. Right. I think... Maybe around the mid '80s, I heard of this place called Second City. Really? Yeah, I went and I checked out a show there, and immediately fell in love. I was like, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. Signed up for classes, and um, yeah, just pursued that. Went through the conservatory there, and auditioned for the touring company. Got into the touring company, and that's when um, Second City improv touring sketch comedian stuff um sort of interfered with medical school plans and were your parent how did your parents feel about that well i have to say my parents have been supportive all along you know they're as long as you're happy and blah 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 but it wasn't like they were coming up and seeing all of my crazy shows um which they do these days Especially when I was um, the last few years doing shows on Zoom, my parents uh, were like number one fans in those days. Um, but yeah, it was it was tough for them being downstate a couple few hours to follow up on my career. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I have to say they were supportive. That's nice. Mm -hmm. And. You were at Second City when you first saw them performing. Who was like there at the time that kind of helped um, inspired you to start going there? Was anyone in particular? Well, I heard at Second City from um, the people in my performing troupe mm -hmm. down at U of C, and I just went on a whim and fell in love. Um, I think people like Donnie DePaulo. Those were the people in the cast. I was trying 
years ago, I was trying to figure out what was that show that I saw. I think it was called How Green Were My Values. And folks like Donnie DiPaolo and Michael Gelman, those were the people that were in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, once I got there and was touring and then later on performing in resident companies myself, I ran into, of course, a lot of very talented people. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot from the people that I toured with and from the people that I performed in resident company shows with. And then, you know, when I started teaching, I learned a lot from other teachers back in those days. How soon did you start teaching before? Was it right after you graduated or did you take some time to perform, tour and all that? I would say, yeah, it wasn't until after I was touring and was in uh, the resident company at Second City Northwest. Um, So once I was in that company and we were driving out there maybe five, six times a week to do shows, they were, they had a touring company, not a touring, they had a training center out there. And the training center was just being put together. And that was the opportunity to go out for, you know, one more time uh, per week and teach. So that's when I started it, like early 90s. Did you fall in love with it immediately or did you, was it immediate? Oh, no, wait, I like performing instead. I don't want to do this. Well, I think I did fall in love with teaching and I got, you know, maybe a little obsessed with it. And um, there was a time that I was teaching and coaching and directing and I'd been um, sort of neglecting performing. So I started really missing performing improv and whatnot so i had to get back into that and that's when i started those two shows jam sandwich and jimmy and johnny with the help of jimmy um and that was just about 11 years ago because we just had our 11 year anniversary for both of those or the uh, 11 year anniversary for jam sandwich is coming up at the end of january So it was like 11 years ago, I was like, oh my God, I'm just teaching too much and coaching too much. I need to get back and perform regularly. And now I'm performing twice a month regularly. And that's pretty, that's about the right amount for me. Right. And where did now, and this is sort of like a late congrats, but now you are the artistic director of Second City. Of the Uh, training center. Of the training center. Uh, what did you, how did you get that job and how do you plan to sort of take Second City in whatever form it's going? Well, I think there was a little bit of luck involved in getting this position. You know, I heard that they were looking for someone uh, for that, for the artistic director of the training center. And I was like, you know, I wasn't really feeling it. I was like, I don't know if I want to be an administrator at Second City. Could be like scary. But then, you know, the people that were working there started emailing me and asking me, hey, come work with us. We need you here. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I heard enough of that and I was like, all right, all right, I'll check this out. And the job, the position was still available. 
So, you know, I auditioned and I auditioned. I interviewed for it and um, got the job. And uh, I have to say, it started in June, and like six months later, I'm still getting into the hang of this this job. Mm-hmm. There's quite a bit of administrative duties involved. I thought I'd be in there producing shows and pitching shows and directing. No, it's not that kind of a, it isn't about the shows. It's pretty much about managing the teachers that teach in the uh, training center and assigning them to classes and updating the curricula there. So it's that mostly that kind of work. And I'm starting to get the swing of it and enjoying it. That's great. That's yeah. How much, and I'm curious now, when you still perform, you know, I, you know, I realize about you and my research and going back to the good old days of improv one, you like to slow things down. Uh, you you are teaching people not to be in their own heads the entire time. And I performed with you a few times in class. And that was the one thing I remember is you would be either folding laundry or raking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep, just doing this or just folding laundry. I would always remember you would just be slowing down and there would be this pause between us. And I've always found in my head, well, is that my cue to go or what's going on here? But no, that was your method of slowing the F down. Um, is that the mo- the message or the motto or, what, or the whatever uh, style you, you are passing down to people? Or um, it's, is that just the basic um, style of improv is just slowing down and not, you know, you know, we people, some people are stuck in their own head sometimes, you know. Yeah, I mean, as a teacher, an improv teacher, you're pretty much trying anything to get people out of their heads and get them to realize that what you have to do is respond to what your scene partner is saying and doing. You have to watch and you have to listen to them. Um, a lot of people that are playing really, really fast, um, aren't really responding to their scene partner. They're just going with the the funny stuff that comes to them. And they're not really connecting with that other person up there. But I think it's I think it's good technique and I think it's a popular technique to get the people to pause before they respond, just to go over what that other character just said. And maybe what could be behind what they just said. And playing a little slower, like you say. Mm-hmm. Right. Speaking of slowing, I want let's talk about Columbia and all the drama there is, you know. Oh my goodness. Now I know, I know. Well, I have to have. I think, so you did teach. But there was just also this whole, I don't want to say political side, but this other drama for an art school, as you would say them i like i remember you were part of the adjunct strike um for all that um what do you remember whether it's been good or bad your time at columbia um i know you say that you miss teaching you know college students but was there but was there anything else that you miss or or good riddance for 
Well, I have to say, uh, yes, you're right. That's what I remember the most are the good times that we had in class and um, the talented individuals, the students that I ran into, and the students like yourself that I got an opportunity to check out advancing their own art form. Um, But yeah, there was some crazy stuff going on. I remember in terms of the drama and the strike, that uh, adjuncts had been working without a formal agreement for many, many years. And there was quite a bit of drama, people getting upset with that, and the school, you know, pushing back pretty hard. It's like the only time I've ever been on a strike was for that school, right before I left, too. But I understand that they got their better pay or whatever whatever we were even striking for for a for an agreement for a formal agreement um i just have memories of standing outside on michigan avenue you know holding signs and hollering and i was thinking to myself all we're doing really is getting overtime pay for these mounted police it's like what are we accomplishing right uh, you know, I've I've had never been on strike. I've never been in that position before, and it was pretty uncomfortable. But I understand it eventually worked. Right. There was also a lot of drama with uh, chairs of the department. It was like every two years. I was down there maybe fifteen, sixteen years. It seemed like every couple years there was a new chair of the department. You know, yeah. Sheldon passed. And those were the glory days with Sheldon there. And he took care of people. Sheldon took care of me. He made sure I had, you know, three classes at least every semester. And he made sure that the improv kept going. And later on, you know, I think even they were removed uh, making theater students have to take an improv class Hmm. everything changed and after that it just wasn't the same there weren't as many students in improv classes and it just started drying up a little bit Mm -hmm. um i never was able to get a position teaching in the comedy studies so yeah that also didn't help and i was just they kept dangling a full-time position teaching there at the college. Then they went and hired a whole bunch of people from out of town. Um, And then I was like, you know what? I got to get out of here. I'm only going to get one, maybe two classes a term, and I'll never get that full-time position. And um, I just had to go and get a full-time job. So that's why I left. What else do I remember? It was a huge department. Yeah. And just being working and being in the same building with, you know, dozens of people, dozens of other professors, teachers, instructors that I didn't know, (laughs) no idea who these people were. And they had no idea who I was and there was no morale for the department. Um, Yeah. I hope all that's changed. I don't know. How long has it been since you've been back there? 
been about two and a half years. So I can't even tell you. I mean, my last semester was on Zoom. So yeah, and we'll talk. I want to get want to get into Zoom improv in a minute, but yeah, I can't tell you. By the time I left, half of everyone is either gone up or I just don't see anyone anymore. And then kind of like you, everything was just becoming stale and boring. And frankly, I just felt old at that point. Oh, that was my that was the worst thing was you come onto that third floor. And usually at this point, I'm used to seeing the same faces who, you know, the, the BFAs who are they're thinking they're a lot better than everyone, which probably they are. <laughs> but they were there and they're talking about their careers and I'm just here and they're just listening it in. But then they were all gone. And then I became that person. <laughs> and I'm listening to the freshmen now. And talking about that, and yeah. never have I felt more old and more like I got to get out of here. Oh wow! So, well, that's too bad, I guess. Um, you know, I know a couple uh people there that are in the theater department, but I just don't get any reports if everything's going on still. If everyone, if they're doing great shows, yeah, you know. No, I can't remember. I haven't seen a show there in a couple of years. Like I, you can't tell me who still. I don't know who still works there or not at this point. But yeah, wish them all the best. You know, same here. Right. So now let's talk about Zoom Improv because I I want I tip my hat to anyone who a has been training online or b been doing shows online. Ah, uh, how long? How long did it take for you to sort of? adapt to it was it a pretty easy transition or did it take a long time well here's what happened right the world shut down and second city was okay um take a week figure out this zoom thing and then your class is coming right back on zoom and so it took a week to figure it out and come back and i remember doing that i remember teaching on zoom and i'm like oh my god second city should have been doing this all along hmm. i'm like there are types of classes like writing classes that maybe they involve more training than teaching mm -hmm. but second city should have been doing this all along then you know the Second City classes started, um, it wouldn't be just people that came to Chicago to study improv. There'd be people that are still back in wherever, whatever state they're in. People from, you know, Argentina, South Africa, you know, all over the world. So I think it was good for making those sorts of connections. I was actually able to do some shows with my friends in LA hmm. you know it was good for that kind of stuff connecting seeing what everybody else is doing and as soon as I could I took both shows Jam Sandwich and Jimmy and Johnny went online Jam Sandwich every two weeks for like two and a half years we did a show Jimmy and Johnny every month for like two and a half years we did a show um it was a challenge, but I'm so glad we did it. In some ways, I'm thinking Zoom was made 
for improv shows. <laughs> and of course, you know, for a couple years performing online, you get used to there being no audience and no laugh, no response from the audience. And so you do get to slow it down a little bit and, uh, you know, pay a little more attention to yourself. But then now that we're back live since like a year ago, Jan Sandwich came back live last January. But it was it took another moment to get used to having a live audience there. Right. It was weird, right? Because now it people are weird. in the room. It was weird with no audience. Then that got to be like just how you do it, the regular thing. And now it's weird with an audience again. It's like, right. oh yeah. There are people here watching and listening. I'm not in my pajama pants. <laughs> yeah. I'm on an actual stage. Right. And wait, this is actually funny, too. Yeah, that's right. People will laugh. Right. Um, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad it's over. But I think Zoom should always, or online component, there should always be classes taught on Zoom. I think there will always be that opportunity and I think there'll always be that opportunity to perform online mm-hmm. and connect up with all kinds of people all over the world. Yeah, I think Zoom's the ultimate listening game because even in the ultimate, you know, thinking like this, someone's Zoom freezes or crashes, you know, there's that nice little three second delay of, right, yeah. well, I don't know where this is going or all right, but let's let's find a way to make it keep it going um no and and writing i completely forgot like that you can have 40 people or whatever on just a writing class and just air it all out which i think is it may be for a social anxiety person who now they have to speak in front of everyone everyone they can just have their screen turned off and just talk from there it can come in handy yeah Are you thinking about doing a Zoom class now? Well, you know, I I have the opportunity, but now I'm all consumed with uh, in-person classes. Yeah. Let's say for the last year. I went back teaching at Second City in person about a year ago and uh, performing. And here's what else is coming back, you know, coaching coaching improv teams i'd say before the the pandemic hit i might have been juggling over a dozen different improv groups that i was finding performances for and coaching every week or two and that completely went away um and now it's starting to come back in person that's great yeah it is uh, before we go any further, I got to ask about John Hildreth, the playwright. Oh. Yeah. So I know that you wrote a few plays. Uh, Treasure Island was one of them, right? Yes, I adapted that for Lifeline Theater and a handful of other um, adaptations. Around the World in 80 Days mm-hmm. was memorable. memorable. But... Um, When I came back from Detroit with the Second City, I directed a few shows 
for the second city in Detroit when there was a second city in Detroit. And I came back to Chicago after that. And um, the people in that company, Lifeline Theater, sort of uh, pulled me in and I worked with them for several years. I'm still a company member, an artistic ensemble member with Lifeline. But it's been a it's been a while, ten twelve years or so since I've actually um, adapted a show. That's when I did was Watership Down, which is a terrific story. Uh, but yeah, that was maybe twelve years ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. nice. Uh, before we go, my last question to you uh, is: you know, through all the teaching, through all the coaching, even the the performing still. It, do you still have a drive and what kind of drive is it? Is it the students? Is it just the love of performing or succeeding in something? Or is it just, you know, this is just the world that you like to be in? I do have a drive. Um, like I said, the first love is performing, improvising. Mm -hmm. And I, the way I feel now is that I've taken care of myself. I perform live improv twice a month. And uh, I think that's good. I still have some some drive to adapt shows. I don't know. It, that takes a lot of time. <laughs> but I'm hoping, you know, once I get this new job sort of figured out a little bit more, I'll be able to get back into writing and adapting um professionally uh, i have several ideas that i want to uh, pursue there i also have a drive and i'm glad it's just starting to happen again to direct and coach improv groups mm -hmm. yeah i'd like to get back to doing that and just i don't know it's it's a reward i think to see students um, doing well with their shows like coming to see you doing well in that professional show that's a reward for a teacher that's like a victory lap you know um, I'd still like to collect a few more victory laps with uh, former students right I think that's where I am now and I think I'm in a good spot and I'm enjoying it enjoying it that's great that's great. Well, I don't know what you want. We do have time for a game, a bit of an improv game, sort of. <laughs> yeah, you didn't think you're going to get out without doing any kind of improv, sadly. Let's play. All right. This is a game called Time for Two, and there are two minutes on the clock. Uh-oh. And it's a series of random icebreaker questions. Oh. And like improv, there is no right, there is no wrong. I am just curious to see what your opinion is. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. What is in your fridge right now? Wow, there's some cranberry juice. I know there's some water. There's a whole bunch of salad dressings. There's some leftovers from last night. That's pretty much it. <laughs> what part of the human face is your favorite? Um, I like, like right here. Like this line of the cheek right there. Yeah. Favorite part. 
Okay. Uh, what animal would you like to have scale up to the size of a horse? Wow. Um, I think it'd be cool to have uh, a frog. Nice. Huge frog. <laughs> ah, um, what movie would be greatly improved if you made it into a musical? Oh, wow. Um, I found this channel that has a bunch of old westerns. I'd like to see some of those old Clint Eastwood westerns made a musical. Nice. Like a uh, fistful of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Would you rather live in a zoo or a roller coaster par- or amusement park for life? Yeah, I'm going to say amusement park. Would and you I rather? Do, I'd do days of like non stop roller coasters. I like that. Would you rather have unlimited sushi or unlimited tacos for life? Unlimited tacos. Favorite president? Abraham Lincoln. Who is the greatest game show host of all time? Alec Trebek. Alex right. Trebek. If not this, what other job would you like to pursue? I have a feel. I'd like to be like a, a lawyer, like the neighborhood hero lawyer. Right? I'd like that. John Grisham lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite favorite Beatle. Um, I'm gonna go John Lennon. The obvious in my mind. Great, the obvious. And that's how we play time for two. Hey, that was fun. Right? Get you get get your brain brain working a little bit, right? Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Well, John Hildreth, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me today. I've had a lovely time catching up and getting to hear your stories all over again. Matthew. What a great podcast this is. An honor to participate. Please stay in touch. Yeah, will do. I also like the little post-it note that you have above your computer saying that right now. What is it saying? Oh. Wow, Matthew, this is such a great podcast. (laughs) (laughs) My thanks to John Hildreth for spending some time with me. And folks, if you like this podcast, do you know we're on every podcast platform? Yes, the Spotify, the Apple, the Stitcher, the YouTube, the Amazon. I think the Amazon has a podcast platform. They do. What am I saying? So you can just go ahead and Google, are your parents proud of you? You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, email us, parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com. Next week, I speak with artist Cal Walker. It's going to be a good one. See you then.